This is The Rounds Table. Well, Rounds Table listeners, it's that time of year again. Another season comes to a close, this being our fourth inaugural season on The Rounds Table, and my second as your age-old trusted host. But good times are ahead for The Rounds Table, and I wanted to take the opportunity on this episode to give our dedicated listeners a glimpse into the future for Season 5. We have lots of new exciting initiatives on the go and a major change coming to the structure of our show that I think is going to significantly enhance and improve the overall quality of our podcast and hopefully take it to the next level for our listeners to enjoy. We are changing the structure involving a regular anchor co-host such as myself who's been with you for the last two years and Amol Verma before that to a new rotating structure of core hosts who will grace the airwaves and your earbuds for future to come. We have recruited an incredible team of co-hosts who are both expert-level practicing staff physicians, as well as those who bring an international perspective beyond the borders of Canadian healthcare. I look forward to having these individuals on our show next year, and we look forward to hearing your feedback as listeners as to how these changes have improved our overall show. There is a change coming to our special segments that's led by Shaliza Halani, and we are moving to an interview-led format where Shaliza will find an international expert on a topic area of relevance and interview those individuals to provide a richer perspective for our listeners on particular areas of interest. Lastly, we are dedicated to providing the highest quality podcast out there for practicing healthcare providers, and as such, we have introduced a new internal quality review committee that's led by Wilson Kwong here at the University of Toronto. He's gathered an expert panel of both clinician scientists, researchers, and expert practitioners to listen to our co-hosts analyze articles and ensure that we're delivering you the most accurate and high-quality analysis of these relevant studies. Lastly, I just want to take the last few moments here to say thank you so much for all of your dedication to our podcast. We have grown to incredible heights over the last two years. We are now downloaded between 10 and 15,000 times per month from over 103 countries across the globe. To date, we have close to 250,000 total unique downloads, and it's in large thanks to you, our dedicated listenership, who has helped us grow this podcast to an initiative that we are truly proud of, and we here at the Rounds Table wish to thank you so much for doing so. I will still continue to host on a rotating basis as part of this new structure, but I do look forward to welcoming our new co-hosts, and as I said before, we really would appreciate your feedback on how this evolves and how we can continue to improve the rounds table to provide you the most up-to-date relevant medical literature to apply to your practice and improve our patient care globally. With that said, I now am proud to take you through the top five studies that we covered on our show in this past season four between 2017 and 2018. I'm going to present them in no particular order. And full disclosure, these are selected from my own personal opinion, as well as some input from some of the team members here at Roundstable. By no means are these systematically selected, and I imagine there are lots of studies that we covered on the show this year that are relevant to your practice, and you might think these are more important. If you have thoughts about this, we'd love to hear from you about which you thought were the most relevant and high-impact studies on the show. Nevertheless, 
as the host and director of the show, I get to have this one little perk. And here we go with my top five studies from the rounds table in season four. The first study was looking at edoxaban in the treatment of cancer-associated venous thromboembolism. Dr. Paxton Back and I covered this earlier this year, and I think this is one of the biggest practice-changing trials of this past year in the treatment of uh, this particular condition. This randomized control trial of over a thousand patients who presented with cancer-associated VTE found that treatment with daily edoxaban, a direct oral anticoagulant, was found to be non-inferior when compared to standard treatment with low molecular weight heparin. And that was with respect to recurrence of venous thromboembolism or the development of major bleeding over a one-year period. Major bleeding did occur in 6.9 versus 4% of individuals treated with edoxaban versus low molecular weight heparin. This was a significant difference and overall corresponded to a number needed to harm of approximately 33. There was immediate separation in the curves, and this was largely driven by GI-related bleeding in patients with GI malignancies. Therefore, in applying this to your practice, the use, the use of direct oral anticoagulants, or specifically adoxaban, in cancer-associated venous thromboembolism appears to be effective and non-inferior than that of low molecular weight heparin. Most patients in this trial had solid organ cancers, although many experts I know still use it in heme malignancies. And I think some nuanced decisions can be made around applying it to your individual patients with regards to bleeding risk in those with underlying gastrointestinal cancers. The second trial was known as the SPACE trial. Dr. Katie Whiskar, a brand new voice on the rounds table, helped me cover this study later in the year. And this was an unblinded, pragmatic, randomized clinical trial, including 240 patients who presented with chronic back pain or chronic hip or knee osteoarthritis. And this trial demonstrated that the use of opioids versus non-opioid medication therapy did not result in significantly better pain-related function at 12 months. This is important as the epidemic of opioid-related abuse and overdose spreads across North America and globally. In this trial, pain scores were improved regardless of the treatment strategy and shows that we as physicians can do something to help patients with chronic pain and the choice of our medications should favor non-opioids in this setting. Therefore, this SPACE trial did not support the initiation of opioid therapy for moderate to severe chronic back pain or hip or knee osteoarthritis pain. The third trial was probably one of the most innovative trials I've seen in a long time, and if there was an award for innovation in the conduction of clinical trials, this one is clearly the winner. Dr. Dan Aronov, another new voice on the rounds table who joined us from Australia, and I covered this. And this looked at blood pressure control in barber shops in Los Angeles area. This cluster randomized trial of just over 300 black male adults who were attending their local barber shops demonstrated that a collaborative pharmacist-led intervention involving barbers and pharmacists in which antihypertensive drug prescribing was delivered demonstrated a significant blood pressure reduction of approximately 20 millimeters systolic blood pressure with a 50% difference in achievement of target blood pressure control compared to encouragement by barbers alone to make lifestyle modifications and attend their family physician appointments. There were no major safety concerns to this approach in helping this underserviced population. I think that this trial taught us that a community outreach interventions can be effective means to improve blood pressure control in certain populations. And although there probably isn't a one strategy fits all approach when it comes to underserviced individuals, 
As a proof in principle, this type of innovative intervention should be viewed as a demonstration of how we need to think differently about delivering health to marginalized populations and how we can benefit these individuals using alternate strategies to conventional healthcare delivery. The fourth study of interest that shows up on our best of was a study that was covered by Paxton and I in the last few weeks, and it was a systematic review and meta-analysis looking at oral antihyperglycemic therapies in the treatment of diabetes. This very impressive network meta-analysis that included 236 separate randomized control trials that comprised over 175,000 individuals with diabetes demonstrated that SGL2 inhibitors and GLP-1 agonists, but not DPP-4 inhibitors, were associated with significantly lower all-cause mortality than control groups. This is probably the most important study in diabetes to date, in the modern era at least, and it really shows what we would call hard endpoints are achievable beyond the traditional surrogate endpoints of hemoglobin A1C control. Against both placebo and DPP-4 inhibitors, SGL2 inhibitors demonstrated approximately a 1% absolute risk reduction in overall mortality, and GLP-1 agonists demonstrated approximately 0.5% reduction in overall mortality. I think overall, of course, there is still a role for metformin and DPP-4 inhibitors as therapies in diabetes, so we certainly should not abandon these. These have important effects in lowering hemoglobin A1c, and there are certain nuances to their use, for example, in the setting of uh, neuropathy with DPP-4 inhibitors. Furthermore, certain patient-centered decisions around fluctuations in renal function and the risks of worsening AKI in the context of SGL2 inhibitors should be considered. But I think overall, if you're faced with a patient who has diabetes, is on metformin, and at especially increased risk for cardiovascular disease, I think preference for these two classes of medications should be considered. Last but not least, we looked at dual antiplatelet therapy in the treatment of stroke or high-risk TIA. Dr. Mike Fralick and I covered this on a rapid fire, and in case we went over it too quickly, I wanted to highlight that this randomized trial that extended the prior CHANCE trial, which was conducted in predominantly a Chinese population, found that in over 4,800 individuals with minor stroke or high-risk TIA, the use of dual antiplatelet therapy was associated with a significant reduction in recurrent stroke and only a minor increase in the risk of major bleeding, predominantly driven by gastrointestinal bleeding. There was a 1.5% absolute risk reduction and a 25% relative risk reduction in recurrent strokes, with a number needed to treat of 67. Importantly, most of these events occurred in the first week after the initial stroke or TIA, which we know is the highest risk time period for these individuals. For patients at subsequent risk of stroke and not at a high risk of gastrointestinal bleeding or otherwise, I think it's reasonable to give dual antiplatelet therapy in these individuals, at least on a short course therapy, probably in the context of 21 days uh, when you look at the, the curves on this trial. I think that this trial has provided definitive evidence around the use of dual antiplatelet therapy in this setting and certainly has changed my practice. Well, that is the list for this year. We thought we would keep it short and sweet to five to really hone in on the ones that we wanted to demonstrate to our listeners that these are probably the most important practice changing and relevant studies of 2017-2018, at least as covered on the rounds table. Again, this is only my opinion, and if you feel like there are different studies that should have been covered or different studies that we did cover and should have been highlighted, I would love to hear from you. 
feel free to email me at kieran.quinn, that's K-I-E-R-A-N dot Q-U-I-N-N, at mail.utoronto.ca, and I'd love to hear from you. Furthermore, if you're interested in getting involved in the rounds table in any way, please do email us. We're always looking for talented individuals to join the show. And with the host of exciting initiatives that are undergoing and on the way here at the rounds table, lots of help is always needed. That's it for season four of the rounds table. Thank you once again. I can't say it enough to all of our dedicated listeners. And I would just like to say a special thanks to the following individuals here at the rounds table who are instrumental into its everyday operation. First and foremost is our head producer, Emily Hughes. Without Emily, nothing would happen. Emily, thank you very much. Second, Emilio Garcia Flores, who is our editor and dedicates all of his time to cleaning up the countless number of mistakes that occur off-air, so all you hear is a polished version for your listening pleasure. Thank you, Emilio. Anthony Maher has been our marketing and communications director and has been made sure that the listeners out there are up to date on all of the latest episodes coming out as he manages our Twitter and Facebook feed. Anthony is on to start his residency in psychiatry here at the University of Toronto, and we look forward to his successor, who has large shoes to fill. Wilson Kwong has taken on the lead for our evaluation, and we wish to thank Wilson for his all of his hard work and dedication thus far to this initiative. Shaliza Halani, who is a familiar voice to most of you, continues to evolve our segments, and I'm certainly proud of all the work that she's done with the changes she's made. I think you're going to really enjoy the segments next year. Dan Marinescu has been hired on to help with all of the complicated coordination for scheduling the new hosts, and he's done a great job welcoming them all to the team for a smooth transition to this new format. Finally, our founders, Dr. Amol Verma and Dr. Fahad Razek, who have created the rounds table and allowed it to become what it has today. Amol still plays a role as a faculty mentor, and we are very much indebted to their vision and foresight into establishing this great initiative. Lastly, the folks at Healthy Debate continue to host our website and feed, and literally the rounds table would not exist without their generosity and kindness. Dr. Andreas Lapakas continues to support us with his unbelievable generosity, and we look forward to our continued partnership in the future. Please do check out healthydebate.ca for lots of excellent reading around healthcare. That's it for me this year. I'm looking forward to season five and being back on the air with you to kick it off. Have a wonderful summer. And if you're in south of the equator, have a wonderful winter. And we'll see you in two months.